now. We could have sang it just because it's familiar to us. We like the melody or the words. And it's a devotional song to sing in church. We could have sang it that way and probably you may be seated. Most people who do sing that chorus sing it that way. It's a nice tune. It's got a nice melody. So many times we sing songs for other people to hear what we're singing, but this is a song that we need to sing and we need to hear what we are singing. I love you. I give my life to you. More than anything, I love you. And that's what our lips were saying. And it's a nice, beautiful song if you just sing it with your lips. It's devotional. It's edifying. But if we uh, took the origin the words of that song, just maybe eight, 10, 12 inches, a little lower. And instead of just singing it from your lips, but you sing it from your heart. Because much more than just a nice song to sing becomes a life-changing testimony, a proclamation that you make, not to me, not to the folks around you, but this is a proclamation we need to make to ourselves while we sing this song to the Lord. We need to sing it to our hearts. I love you. Sing it again, Joseph. I love you. I love you more than anything. More than anything 
Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And everyone said, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That salutation or benediction, in some cases, was used extensively by the Apostle Paul, also used by Peter and John, and it occurs over a dozen different times in Scripture. And I've learned something in my 50 years of ministry, that when Scripture takes the time to repeat something, over and over again, it must have a meaning deeper than what theologians define the meaning. And so, about a year ago, I guess it was, maybe a little bit longer than that, I endeavored to take that particular statement and I went through the scriptures I examined the words and then I went and looked at uh, some of the usage of the word, the Greek word that is interpreted grace and peace. And I came to an understanding that grace, peace, has a more significant meaning to us than any theologian, any commentary. I can define. You see, because the Greek word that is most readily translated 154 times in the New Testament as grace is the word charis. And we all probably somewhere along the line, either in Sunday school or Bible study or your own personal uh, research, you know, you've come across the word and you've looked up the definition and for years, and it wasn't until Marianne challenged me one day, my definition was very simply and uh, very pointedly is God's unmerited favor. And I remember one time, I guess we were in uh, McKee's Rocks at the time, that I preached a sermon that I thought was, wow, super sermon, great, wonderful, good response. And then at the end, 
Marianne took a little hat pin and popped my balloon. Good. Now, don't be sorry, please, because that changed. I mean, that. And she said to me, uh, Pastor, what, what does grace mean? I said, well, Marianne, simple. It's God's unmerited favor. And she said, is that it? Is that all? And when she said that, a chord was struck in my heart. And I realized that she was on to something. So if you remember my response to you, I said, you know what, Marianne? I really don't know. I said, I got to pray about it and find out. And boy, it had changed my life. Grace. Yes, yes, yes. God's grace is God's unmerited favor towards men as manifested through the death of Jesus Christ. But if we just take it as such, we limit what Paul was trying to impact to the church by the use of the word. You see, while well, charis is a word that we use commonly in Defining grace, grace in Paul's time, in the Greek culture, had a broader meaning than just the limited unmerited favor. A merited favor, you know, if somebody doesn't deserve it, you do something nice for them. That's an unusual attitude to have in today's culture, isn't it? Do something nice for somebody just because, just because. Boy, where did that go? What happened to that? But at any rate, you know, if we limit what Paul was trying to communicate theologically, just by that understanding, we lose a whole different perspective of Paul's concept of grace. Grace and peace to you. And some people even have the mistaken notion that grace and peace to you is merely a Christian salutation. You know, because grace uh, uh, you know, and peace, uh, kind of like the shalom of the greetings of the Jews. And so we just take it as a salutation. But Paul didn't use grace and peace to you as a salutation, he used it as an invocation. It wasn't just a nice saying, how are you feeling today, my brother? He was saying, Lord, however this brother feels, I impart. <laughs> grace. Grace. God's grace coming down from the Father above. Yes. But what is included in that invocation? What do we receive when we become recipients of God's grace? Favor? Yes. Undeservedly so? <laughs> capital letters all the way through, all kinds of exclamation marks after that. For all of us, 
None of us, none of us deserve the benefit of God's grace. But we're recipients of it. But let's not just stop there. Let's go on and look at some of the other aspects of God's grace. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on what I just said, you know, the sufficiency or the uh, uh, God's unmerited favor. I want you to see grace from the perspective that Paul was utilizing the grace. The words he had, he developed a whole different theological concept. When he used the word grace, you see, because in the culture of the, of the Greeks back there, grace had several different connotations. There are all kinds of different meanings. And one of them, and I think after we did this little discussion, I came along and I preached about this. One of the benefits of grace, one of the blessings of grace is divine empowerment. See, grace is not just favor. Grace grants us an ability. Amen. An ability. It grants to us the idea that we are able to do all things through Christ who strengthens us. That is the manifestation of grace. Because we have received God's grace and accepted in our lives, we need to change our confession from things that we can't do to things that we can do. Yeah. I can! Right. Not because of me, but because of God's grace. I am not insufficient. I'm not incapable. I'm not limited by the horizons of my physical manhood or my surroundings, environment, or experiences. None of these things compares to God's grace that enables me to do all things. But it isn't only divine enablement It's divine authority, empowerment. He not only gives you the ability to do it, but he gives you the authority to do it in his stead. An individual can go to a police academy and get all the training, learn all the things that he needs to do, have all kinds of ability, be top in his class, but when he goes out in the street, it's not his ability, it's not his training that empowers him. But it's that little shield that he carries. It's that little shield that says, I have the authority that has been vested in me to do what I'm about to do. And we need to understand that. See, we, we love to talk about grace, 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 but we need to see its manifestations in our lives. We just can't say I'm a recipient of God's grace and then say, oh man, but I can't do anything. 
Oh man, everything is terrible. Everything is wrong. Well, then you are the recipient of grace. Or you better yet. Now, let me be negative about this. You don't, you haven't come to the knowledge of grace. And I think that's the problem with so many people in churches today. We have a definition of grace. We have an intellectual understanding of grace. But we haven't been able to take the impartation of grace and use it in our lives. So there's a sufficiency that comes with grace. And as I said earlier, there's also another thing, an enforcement of power. In classical Greek literature, and I know that sounds very heady, but it's not. Just, I love to read Greek literature. I don't know about you. I think it's mind-blowing to see how stupid these people are, and yet the world thinks they're so great and wise. <laughs> but, but, you know, when I, when I read some of these poets of the past and philosophers, I read between the lines. And... I, I believe these men, and maybe a woman or two, had an extrasensory understanding of what life was really all about. They just didn't have the medium of communication because they didn't have the knowledge or the wisdom that came through Christ. But so many of their philosophies are based upon Christian concepts. They just had the cart before the horse. And, and they just didn't, and if you read it, you can see, and, and you know, they, they clothe so many of their concepts and mythology and uh, weirdness that sometimes we just look, yeah, all pagans and heathens. But Paul himself recognized the value of philosophy. And he was at Athens, and he went into, up to Mars Hill and the Pantheon, looking all around, and finally he comes and he uses a common factor says, oh, I, hey, look, I see you got all these gods. He didn't say, that's terrible, that's hard, I'm miserable. Tear them down! And you know what he said? Um, hey, look at this one. This one right in the middle. The one that's at the greatest value to the unknown God. He says, hey, guys, guess what I'm going to do for you right now? I'm going to bring revelation knowledge to you regarding this unknown God. So don't dismiss, you know, the, the philosophies of others and say, well, they're not Christian. Show them the meaning. Show them the value of what the human mind, the thinking mechanism of, of all mankind is searching for and seen in so many different ways and when it's there right before their face don't argue with them explain to them but the Greeks the Greek philosophers they use Euphrates is that his name did I say it wrong again huh? Ephrodites See, I, I can read, but I can't speak. E, I, U, P, well, whatever. He, it makes no difference. I was just trying to sound really intelligent, and I really blew that one up. 
he used the word charis to describe something really spooky. And understand, Paul was aware of all these conventional Greek philosophies. And rather than try to expel them, I think what Paul does in this particular case, he brings it into his theological definition of grace. See, the word was used as a means of defining a spiritual power that came upon individuals who had a hero in their lives and that hero died. And they spoke of Charis as the impartation of that energy of the departed, of the wisdom of the departed, of the abilities of the departed into uh, those who were his survivors, his children. The spirit of your father is in you. And that's how they communicated it. The spirit of your hero, the greatest person in your life, although they're dead, don't worry, his influence is still in you. And we carry it out in, in, in American philosophy in life. Oh, yeah, well, he's, he's looking down on me. He's helped. I think my grandfather helped me. And that, that, that comes from uh, the Greek use of the word charis. I'm getting an influence from beyond the grave. Well, Paul didn't yell at the heathens and say, that's stupid. What did he do? He takes that concept and he brings it into Christian reality. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Though he is gone and no longer walking on the earth, he is still here. Our hero still influences and affects and oversees our lives. Karis! Grace. Grace. God's grace. Paul was saying, listen, folks, listen. God's grace empowers us to become more and more like Jesus every day of our lives. It empowers us because he's in us. That same spirit that moved Christ is in us to help us to overcome every circumstance and situation that comes against us. There is no weapon that is formed against thee that shall prosper. Amen. We understand that. Why? Because of God's grace. Amen. It's not anything we merit or earn. And we have the spirit of Christ in us to accomplish the purpose for our lives. And let me tell you, each and every one of us here has a specific assignment given to us by God to fulfill 
before we meet the inevitable. It's that grace. It's that spirit. It's that charis that abides within us, enabling us, empowering us to fulfill our destiny in life. If you're not fulfilling your destiny, it's not because God hasn't equipped you. It's because you haven't taken the time to find out from God what it is that God has specifically called you to do right now. So many are worried about what has God called me to do tomorrow, next week, next year, 20 years from now. No, no, just take care of today and tomorrow will follow. And I'll be obedient to that which you've established today. Find out what has God called you to do today? Oh, you know, I go to work. I go to school. I do this. No, 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 no. That's the physical manhood that does these things. That's the civil you that's engaged in your life's activities. But before you go out pursuing these things, stop. Inquire of the Lord. Today, Lord, what's my assignment? What have you called me to do? I'm I'm so limited. Would you stop that? I'm so limited. God's not interested in your abilities. Not interested in your intellect. He's looking to your heart. What's in there? Lord, what's my assignment for today? Throughout the day. Why don't you just ask him? Go on. What do you want me to do? When you get into a difficult situation, don't take the natural way out. Be fear or anger. Compromise. You come into a difficult problem. Lord, give me resolution. Give me resolution. Maybe you don't see the the benefits of that resolution right then and there instantly, but I guarantee you, like a seed that's planted in the ground, it's going to grow and produce fruit. But the final aspect of grace that I want to speak to you this morning about is one that I... The Lord woke me up the other day. I think it was Thursday night. And he talked about an economic term when it came to grace called the reciprocal system. And I'd studied about this in the past, but I really never went deep into it. But this time the Holy Spirit was speaking to my heart. He says, son, we need to exercise the reciprocal system. That's an economic term. Simply means that if somebody does something good for you, you need to do something good for somebody else. Reciprocity. 
And so, I, you know, we as Christians all know we're supposed to be kind and good and everything else. But the Lord spoke to me. And he said to me, if you are a benefactor of my grace, it is incumbent upon you to be a bestower of that grace. Reciprocity. Reciprocity. If you received grace, then it's incumbent upon to invoke grace. And what is grace? The basic definition of it. It's unmerited favor. Now, listen. If we have been the recipients of unmerited favor, God has placed that into our storehouse so that we can dispense it. So that we can give it out. Because oftentimes God's grace is only understood through the conduct and the action of his children, like father, like son. Grace. We must become a dispenser of grace. And isn't that what Jesus preached about more than anything else? When somebody comes and slaps you on the right side, what do you do? Turn the other. Somebody curses you, what do you do? You bless. Somebody's angry at you. You love. Somebody abuses you. Huh? Have we missed it? That's the purpose of God's grace. Not just to bring us salvation, but to give us motivation for life. How do we prove to people that we are recipients of God's grace? Well, I'm saved. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> that's great. But that's not proof. That's just conviction. It's when we manifest our Father's Spirit in every situation we find ourselves in, that people become aware of the true grace of God. <sighs> Love your neighbor. Do good to them. And despitefully use you. Bless them. And persecute you. Don't let cursings come out of our mouths when we should be sharing the grace of God. So somebody says something I don't agree with. As a Christian, I don't have to get on the defensive and show them how stupid and wrong they are. I need to prove to them that I'm right, not by my words, but by my life. Because all my words mean nothing. 
if my life isn't speaking the basis of that truth. I love you. Oh, yeah. That's easy to say. And even the most ardent of loves sometimes gets spoiled and discarded. Every person who stands at an altar and confesses their love to the other means for it to be perpetual and eternal. <laughs> but eternity, by their definition, sometimes has a sort of lifespan, like maybe a year, two, ten, before I don't love you anymore. As long as we confess to have received God's grace, it is incumbent upon us, it is required of us to extend that grace to others. The parable that Jesus used, let me just close with this. This man came before a king, owed a great debt. And this guy, though he had resources, there was no way that he could satisfy the debt. So he came before the king, and he was about ready to be put into debt as jail. Great amount of money. And the man stood before the king and pleaded. He presented his heart, and he pleaded for the mercy of the king. Be merciful to me, O king. And some way or the other, his words touched the heart and the mind of that king, his benefactor. And he looked down on him and he said, well, I'll tell you what. Your debt is forgiven. The individual just became the recipient of a great grace. And he walked out rejoicing, celebrating, couldn't believe his good fortune, and all based on the benevolence of the king. But as he was doing his business, he came across an individual that owed him a few shekels, a paltry sum, a man who was burdened with all kinds of problems and issues, I was in debt to this individual. And when this individual came to this man and this man said, you either pay up or I'm sending you to debt as jail. The individual said, I cannot. It's impossible. And that individual who had been the recipient of a grace just previous to this discounted the man's pleas, sent him off, put him in jail. And then the king heard about it. And he said, summon the individual back. Remember, this is a parable of Jesus. Why is he telling us this story? It's because the reciprocating system of grace. You receive it, you have an obligation. 
to dispense it. So this man came before the king thinking maybe, oh, he's going to give me some of the favor. Boy, was he surprised. When the king just looked and looked at him, spoke sternly, says, you wicked man. You wicked, wicked man. Here you were a benefactor of my grace that I gave to you without merit due to you. Then what do you do? The minute that you have the opportunity to share my benevolence and my heart for the people, you reject it. I'm not saying that God, that Jesus was teaching that if we don't share grace with others that he's going to put us in jail or confinement. But I am saying this. The effectiveness of your ministry is limited by the grace you dispense to others. That's good. I had to learn that the hard way. I believe that the way that I would get ministry done is my cracking a whip, yelling, demanding, got things done at a great expense, not to these others, but to my own ministry. God had to humble me until I realized that I'm not here to get people to do what I believe is important to do, even though it's for the kingdom. I'm simply here to be your facilitator. To enable you to do what God has called you to do. Not my way. There's enough grace that comes from beyond that'll enable you and empower you to do what God has called you to do. My job is not just to preach it, teach it with my mouth, but I gotta live it with my life. I just can't tell you about grace. I have to show you. I have to show you. And I wish I could say I get straight A's in all my report cards. I'm still trying to get above a B. But you know what? I understand it now. And I'm bringing application to it in my life. Maybe sometimes it slips through the cracks of my personality. But Lord, I'm trying to fuse that all together so I become a wonderful receptacle of your grace and your love. Grace. I saw the manifestation of grace and I know this sounds strange, but in the past month we put on things here that we shouldn't have put on. We had dinners Four times in a month of uh, end of September, 
And every dinner we did, we did above and beyond what was expected from us. See, the people are coming to church. They weren't going to that restaurant on the corner. They were coming to church. So they expected the church to be inferior to revival. What they didn't realize, we had the revival. They just are named revival, reminding us every time we come around that corner, that's what we're headed for, it's our revival. And they came here, they saw the beauty, the surroundings, they saw the graciousness of the hospitality, the kindness, they saw the excellence that we put into our presentation to them. It didn't have to be. Any old thing could do. Even our use of, of, of disposable uh, plates. They were the best available for that situation. Why are you spending that kind of money? You're not gonna, you know, we, we, we discovered right away when we started, you're not gonna make any money. And we determined that was not, well, I was so wrong when I thought that what we're going to do is raise money for downstairs by doing this, God reminded me, this is our gift and our ministry to this community. You don't see them in here this morning, do you? But boy, they were in here Saturday night after Saturday night after Saturday night. And we have the opportunity to minister to them and to love on them and to give them an exhibition of God's grace. You don't deserve this. But you know what? We went over and above. And on the internet, people are talking about us. I mean, my wife told me one day, she says, I just read a re review on us. And the review is, the best spaghetti I've ever eaten in my whole life. No, the best food I've ever had in my own life at the best church I've ever been to. And so I'm thinking maybe Angela wrote that or Susan or some one of us. Come to find out. It was a stranger. And they came back and came back. Last week they brought their parents. Well, they're not here this morning. That's okay. We're here. And we're not expecting them to manifest grace to us. It's got to be our expectation to manifest grace to them. We lost money. just on a business basis, we came up hundreds and hundreds of dollars short. The pasta festival, my, my, I don't even think we've calculated it yet. But when we looked at it, and knowing that we had an expectation for the next weekend, we said, well, we probably should cut down on this. And both you know, the presbyters all said, 
being led by my wife and Pastor Gideon. No, we can't cheapen this. You see, I didn't understand that by doing your best, you're giving an exhibit to God's grace. We didn't worry about it. In fact, we're having another community dinner here on the 23rd of uh, November. It's called our first annual Thanksgiving dinner and a celebration for the community. And guess what? We've, what we've learned, we've come wise. We're not charging. We just want them to come in and see us feel the love we have for the people. Know that there's nothing that we wouldn't do for them. We, we want to do for them the best that we can. We'll cook for them the same as we cook for our own family. Best ingredients. The best recipes. So we thought we are going to lose money until one day well, we looked in the tip jar, it was over, well over $200. Tips, wow. Then somebody wrote a check for $200, a stranger from Ohio. Wrote a check for $200. Said it was the best food he ever had. He brought his son here from, where is it? McMurray, Mount Lebanon. From Ohio, they went to Mount Lebanon, and the son said, I want to, I saw this thing on, the internet or something, I want to go there for my dinner. They came and they said they were, they were blown away. Then, then we got a, another offering, another check. $200. Last Thursday, was it? We got a check in the mail again for $200. Wow, for our neighbors. We just told them to come for free. And I told them, there was no expectation. They said, no, but we see what you people are doing, and we want to be a part of it. And then, I'm not going to reveal who the source is, because I want it to be a blessing to them. But then just a few, beginning of this week, I guess it was, we get this envelope that's addressed to us, and inside is a check for $2,000. Do what God has called you to do, and do it with grace, and God will bless you. So we're doing it again. We're going to have the best, most wonderful, opulent, beautiful turkey dinner some of these people have ever had in their lives. The banner will be up Wednesday. We got a big banner that's gonna plaster across our lawn. We've got posters. We just bought new material. We're going to the printing press. We're, we're printing Why? Because God has opened this door for us. And we're not gonna look around and say, well, I wonder if we can do it.
The Hartman con uh, con uh, dinner show was such a blow your mind experience. People that have been when were uh, attended that still to this day tell me, "Wow, I didn't know church could be like that." Neither did we. And then, what was it, the pasta festival that was going to rain? Oh, yeah, we're supposed to have it outside. We had it all planned in our heads. Outside, we're going to do it. And, you know, we figured out all different ways. And then we got the weather report. A week in advance, we're looking at this rain, rain, rain. And it wasn't James. And that week, it's uh, Saturday morning, 9 o'clock. We're looking out our window in our bedroom and uh, mama says to me, I think she says now it was just somewhat facetiously, but she said, huh, well, you know, what we ought to do is take the pews out of the church, some of the front of the church and have it inside. And boom, something hit me. Says, That's the Holy Ghost. And we did it. People came here in the morning. We had a dinner at 4 o'clock or 5 o'clock, whatever it was. They worked. And then when we came back and we looked at this place and we began to, we understood. Yeah, it's nice to have the fellowship hall. But you know what? This became a beautiful fellowship hall. Amen. Would you say? Yeah, I can't do that. What do you have? Yeah, I have. Uh... And I think you, I, I don't know about you, but I feel so much more comfortable ministering to this configuration than I did when we were in those pews. Uh, pews, I wonder if we still have them. If anybody wants a pew for your house, please come. We'll give you 10 bucks to take it away. So I ministered this word to you this morning just to let you know why are we doing these things? Why spend all this money that we don't have? We have electric bills, we have water bills, we have these bills and that bill. But you know what? We believe you do God's ministry and God's money always follows. Why do we do it? Maybe you can understand it now. Because we have a reciprocal responsibility to manifest God's grace. The way God gave it to us. He just didn't send any old thing to bring us salvation. 
And he just didn't have a limited account to purchase our redemption. He gave us everything. He gave us his best. We've received that grace. Now, we need to demonstrate to God we understand the value of that grace by sharing it with others. Amen? Amen? Grace, grace, wonderful grace coming down from the Father above. Sweep over my soul. We don't know it. God's grace, grace Mother, just get up there. You notice this morning I preached the whole time without sitting down. But the first thing I'm doing now that I'm finished, I'm heading for my chair. like this. I don't get to preach to it, but you don't even notice those things back there. I don't know what they're back there for. I want to thank all of you. Uh, Bishop and I received a thank you note from the church this week, and I just want to thank you for that, because we don't generally get thank you notes from the church. We don't. We just come and, and, and we don't expect it. We're not looking for it. You know, it's, it was a surprise, but a very pleasant one, and I'd like to thank all of you for that. Um, also, I would like to ask you to remember something. We would like to send a care package to Marianne Serafin in Cambodia. She's been there. This is her 14th year maybe more because George is old now but anyway she went there just so you know who she is Marianne Serafin is our missionary in Cambodia you thought it was me huh no it's Marianne Serafin she came over there for three weeks 13 or 14 years ago and didn't come back because she met a little boy his name is George. I named a lot of babies George in Cambodia. Uh, but he's a George. And uh, she fell in love with him. And he called her mummy. So that did it. And she can't leave him. Won't leave him. And we can't get him out of the country. Um, he might be able to get a visa after he's 18. And, you know, then they could maybe travel over here. I don't know, but it, it's very difficult and even more difficult now for a Cambodian to get a visa to come to America. And that's why it was just such a miracle that Sopak was here. He came to visit us and I just wrote him a letter and
accepted him and they gave him a visa. Amazing. But anyway, Mary Ann certainly can come anytime she can afford it. But, um, or anytime we send her a ticket when we can afford it. But George, can't, she can't bring him along. And she doesn't want to leave him there by himself. So she's been there for every Christmas and every Thanksgiving, and I don't mind telling you that Christmas and Thanksgiving there aren't exactly the same as they are here. We have a day. Hi, come on in. You can come in. They're leaving. Oh, you're leaving. Okay. Uh, when we have Thanksgiving in Cambodia, we have a day off from school that day for Thanksgiving, and people come and say thanks for what well I guess if you live in Cambodia and you're a Buddhist you've got to work on what to give thanks for but anyway we want to send this to her and what I would would like to ask you to do is find a card Thanksgiving card Christmas card we can make them both uh, so that we can send them, you know, you can't go to the store and buy a Christmas card in Cambodia. There are a couple of them. They all have Santa Claus on it. Or the Grinch. <laughs> or the Grinch that stole Christmas. I mean, and, and probably you could go there right now and buy a jack-o'-lantern. Makes me very sad. Um, but people are getting more and more of an understanding of Christmas. The commercialization of it has taken off in Cambodia because as soon as you find a way to make money, they'll hop on board. And, uh, the, but the, the real meaning of Christmas, I walked into a store that was filled with Christmas trees and, and balls and candy canes and you know all that kind of stuff and Santa Claus, lots all, everywhere. And I said, do you have anything with Jesus and the girl looked at me like what and I said well do you know what Christmas is and she said it's an American holiday where they have Santa Claus and and I said no Christmas is the celebration of the birth of Jesus Christ who was her response boy that made me sad because I thought we had really made some inroads into Cambodia, and here I said, Jesus Christ, and she said, who? Who's he? So anyway, we still have work to do in Cambodia. But Marianne is there doing the work, and she's not afraid to tell everybody that she sees about Jesus. She goes into the crummiest little market. I don't even go in there. It smells, and it's creepy and dirty, and it's like going into the catacombs. And Mary go Marianne goes in there, and lights up the place everybody loves her and they're all happy to see her and she tells everybody about jesus and i think oh god forgive me you know i stepped foot in that marianne wanted me to get something for her in that in samana samana i went to samana i i walked in and water was under my feet and it wasn't raining anywhere and it smelled like fish and disgusting things and there's no light in there because it gets too hot if you let the sun in so everybody has these umbrellas up so it's all dark and I hated it and I went to this lady whose face 
lit up when I said that I came to pick up something for Marianne. And I thought, oh God, I've got this wrong. Uh, maybe I'll go back and live in Samana. <laughs> Just to get used to it. So anyway, the reason I'm saying all of that, Marianne is doing a great thing over there. She gets very little recognition, but she is very well respected in our church. And all those kids that we raised up over all those years, and I talk about our house, and you know, real constant for those kids was Marianne. Because she, she didn't leave and go to America for a while and then come back like I did. I mean, they got used to me coming and going, but she was there. And she was the one that made Christmas special for all of them and told them Christmas stories and did all the things that we do here, Marianne did by herself in Cambodia when there was nobody around there for Christmas but her. And so I would like us to honor her. I mean really honor her, not just say, oh man, I got to get a Christmas card for Mary and Sarah. Okay, I'll do that. And don't, she'll probably try to send you one back, but I'll bring them in you know, July or something. But uh, one of the things that I wanted to do for her was send her a box of Christmas cards. Ones with Jesus on it and you know, the whole deal so that she could give them to people in the church in Cambodia. I think she'd like to do that. So that's one idea. There are many things. I mean, she needs everything that there is. She's very happy. I have to tell you this. She said to me, Pastor, I'm following in your footsteps. Because when I left Cambodia, she was wearing my old clothes the ones that I had lost weight and didn't fit me anymore, they were fitting Marianne. I said, this is not good, Marianne, that these clothes are fitting you. Well, now she asked me if I have another shipment that I could bring of a couple sizes smaller because she's been eating the same way I've been eating and she's losing weight. And she said, I'm being just like you. And I said, well, I'll dress you just like me when I come back. I'll tell you the name of the tailor who made everything over there. But anyhow, uh, we're, we want to try to send her a care package before Thanksgiving. And it takes two or three days to get there. But uh, we first have to get the package together. So would you... Okay, I'm going to get everybody to look at me now. Here. Would you please... And would you please... Come to me or call me this week and say, here is what I'm putting in the box for Marianne Seraphin. I mean, it'd be nice for us to just give her a big pile of money, and I'm sure she'd like to have that too. But it would be so nice to send her some American things. Okay? And one thing she really likes, but I don't want everybody to get it, but she likes that icy hot stuff that comes from the dollar store. It makes her muscles feel good, and she can't buy it in Cambodia, and she asks me for it every time I go there. So you can send her a jar of that. Yes, Marianne. Oh, yeah, if you have a card and you seal it, don't put money in the card because it won't be there when she gets it. If you want to give her money, give it to the church here, and then I call Sopek and say, Sopek, 
I have money for Mary and Seraphim. Please give it to her. Then he gives her the money. Then I pay him back when I go. That's how that works. No. You'd have to have a bank account to go with that. She used to have an American bank account, and we would put money in the account, and then she'd withdraw it with her card. But it never has worked out right, and she's always getting charged fees for it. And this is free because I physically carry the money in my pocket to Cambodia, and I give it to Sopaic. So when, like, I just got $300 from her cousin to give her for a Christmas gift. So, and she's going to think she died and went to heaven when I tell her. She doesn't know yet. But what I did was I contact, I put it in the church bank here, and I keep track of it so that I can get it out before I leave. And then I call Sopaic, and I say, Sopaic, I just got $300 for Marianne. Would you please give it to her? Then he gives her $300 in cash. And then when I go back with a pocket full of cash from here, I pay him back. And sometimes he says, don't worry about it. He's a good boy. So anyway, I think that's some. And any other th nice thing you can think of to do for her, Tell me. I can't think up all the nice things, but I'm sure you have some good ideas. Just think if, Zachary, you could be very helpful in this because you've been in Cambodia. Well, I know, but, but the, it's she's still... She's the same. What? She's the same. Yeah, Marianne's the same, but the country is much different. Yeah, but what, there are more American things you can get in Cambodia now. But you would be amazed how hard it is to find things like ketchup. Real ketchup? Heinz. Yeah, we found Heinz ketchup finally at Super Duper. There's a store called Super Duper. Yes, Marianne? I mean, Marilyn? You're about three for a package. Well, depending, if I just send it by a really cheap mail, I don't know, there are some packages that I got like six or eight months later. Well, yeah, if you, the lighter the thing that you give me, the happier I'll be because the heavier the box. It's very expensive to send there. Very, very. Very, heavy. as you know when you send me a care package. Sent you a care package. Yeah. Way I back got one, I, too. Uh -huh. Did we both get it? You all, yeah, it was to our family. Wow. It had all presents for everybody, yeah. and there was coffee in it, and I know that wasn't for you. Thank you. Anyway, the, um, the box that you sent to us, I think, cost five, over $500 to send. Almost 800 Almost eight? Really? You foolish people. Why did you spend so That's much money? That's what I said. Ten minutes But now No, no I said, oh, look it's, at this. It's, it's, oh, it's, this is so wonderful. Just knowing that you guys, and those cookies that I got, I wouldn't let anybody else in Cambodia eat them. Do you know what? We can, we, it used to be that people would send me things over there and the only way we 